You're listening to the Resurgent ATL Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, today is Father's Day, and uh, this is a day we get to honor, you know, fathers who, whether they're biological or surrogate or mentors, we get to honor them today because of what they have poured into us as men and women and how it's developed us. Amen? Amen. And, uh, you know, I've got... Uh, I wasn't raised by my natural father, and so therefore I, didn't, I don't have a dad in my life, a natural father in my life. But I have a lot of spiritual fathers in my life. And I'm thankful for that because those spiritual fathers have pointed me to the father. And so that's always great when we have people in our lives that represent really well what, what good fathers are supposed to look at. We've got to get rid of this bad dad theology. I, th- I think Dub talked about this last, this last Monday about bad dad theology. You know, it's, uh, it's something that's real. Uh, and, but you know what? It's, it's getting redeemed. And uh, we're all a part of that, redeeming that. And, um, you know, when we honor our, our spiritual fathers, when we honor our natural fathers, we're honoring God our Father in heaven. And so just remember that today. Maybe you've got some people around you that maybe you don't consider a spiritual dad, but they've spoken in your life. I want to encourage you when you leave this place today, shoot them a text. Honor them because it'll it'll do wonders for you and it'll do wonders for them. Amen? Amen. Well, I want to talk today a little bit about fathers. And, um, you know, it, it sounds, you know, a little bit like, oh, well, that would be a natural thing to do, talk about fathers. But, um, you know, fathers are instruments Uh, to show us how to relate to our Heavenly Father, not only to our Heavenly Father, but they teach us how to relate to other people around us as well. And I believe that Jesus actually came not just to redeem family, not just to redeem mankind from sin, but He came to absolutely show us the true nature of who the Father is. Can you say amen to that? And... um, you know, in John 17, 25, 26, I'm going to be using a lot of scripture today. Hope that's okay with you guys. It's always good to be in the Word. Amen. Come on. It's good to back it up. Uh, John 17, 25, and 26 says, O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you who sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. You know, many of us have only received the gospel, half the gospel. And half the gospel means that we only know that Jesus came to save us from something. Okay? And that something is eternal separation. Because we live in a Western Christianity mindset, we, we in this realm, we literally... Focus on the thing that is not the main thing. We focus on sin. We focus on hell. We focus on, um, you know, works, legalism, uh, being, uh, doing instead of just being. And what God wants us to do, He wants us to come to a place where He knows we, that we know what He saved us to. Okay? What He saved us to. The Father, you know, the Father of lies, the enemy, He comes to us. And he's constantly speaking to us from a place of being a chief orphan because he is the chief orphan. We've talked about this. Satan or Lucifer was the first orphan ever who was thrown out of heaven. 
And because of that, he wants to duplicate himself. He wants to replicate himself. And he wants to try to get as many of us to fall for the lies that he sows into our, into our lives. And we've got to understand and we've got to recognize that. That instead of living for love, that we live from love. And we can't accomplish that unless we literally get a, a, different, a different view and a different understanding of who the Father really is in our life, that He's a good, good dad. He's a good father. He's not a bad dad. He's not a, he's not, he is a judge, but He is a judge who is, ac- who is loving and kind and merciful, and He wants to speak that into our life. The truth is, in reality, that the Father has, everything the Father has is yours. Amen. Everything. Everything he has is yours. And he wants his children to understand that the inheritance that he has to give to you never runs out. Isn't that good? You can't exhaust it. No matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter uh, how much you fall away, no matter how much you sin, you can't exhaust his goodness. You cannot exhaust his inheritance. It's there for you at any time that you want it. The truth is that the Father is here, and when, he, when, when you look at what he's doing in this, in this country and how he is touching people's lives and bringing them to a place of understanding their significance and their identity, when we yield to that and we, and we become the direct mirror or reflection of who he is, we become instruments to help those come into the kingdom. And we reconcile those people back into the place where they understand that he's a good, good dad. And, um, you know, when I, look at, when I look at the stories Jesus told, I, I really think of the stories in my own life, but I also think of the stories of other people as well. You know, when you're looking for love but never really experiencing a place of love, you don't have an encounter with God the way you really need to have an encounter with Him. And you know, the truth of the matter is, many of us didn't find God in church. How many of you can say that? You didn't find God in church. Matter of fact, you didn't find God at all. He found you. Amen. Amen. He found you, and he pursued you, and he came after you, and he made you feel safe again. He made you feel like you, that you could open up and be vulnerable. And when you experience a love like that, and you're pursued by a love like that, it causes all your walls to just fall down. Because when you're working for love, but never really experiencing living from love, your heart becomes healed and restored. And that's what happens when you open up and you understand that God is constantly pursuing you. You know, Jesus was the master communicator and storyteller. Uh, he was so good at it, you know. And, um, but what made him truly unique was that his story began in heaven and then it was translated to earth. That's what's beautiful about what, who Jesus is. And what he came to do was to tell stories and to communicate to us an, act, an accurate picture of who he is. You know, there's a story in Luke 15, and I love this song we sang, the last song, and it's funny because I didn't know we were going to be singing that song. It's dealing with the prodigal. There's that story in Luke 15, and if, if you guys want to look at it, you can. I'm going to turn to it and read out of it. But Luke 15, it deals with a story that we all are really familiar with. And uh, let, me, let me just turn there, and I'm going to read. It's always important to... putting on my glasses parable of the lost son 
It says, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. How did that make you feel, right? Come on. I want my estate. I want part of your estate before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And while he was there, he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked really, really good to him. But no one gave him anything. And when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both you and heaven, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both you and heaven, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Man, what a great story. You know, what I love about this story is, you know, we, we see that Jesus is, he is, he is trying to convey a message here. And one of the most beautiful things in this story is we see a middle-aged man, a Middle Eastern middle-aged man, ran. And he had been waiting, and he had been looking for his son. And for Middle, for, for middle Eastern, to, to pick up their robes and to run was considered very undignified. But his father saw him coming from afar off, and it said that he ran to him. And it's just what we just talked about. God is always pursuing us. He's always chasing us. He's always coming after us. He's always wanting to see us come back to a place of fellowship and relationship with him. You know, was the story Jesus trying to get, convey, what was he trying to convey to make us understand? Children, obey your parents. Uh, be a good steward. <laughs> Sin is crouching at the door, just waiting to pounce on you. Amen. You know, disobedience brings suffering and pain. You know, all these things have some validity. But what Jesus was trying to show here, and if you go back and read further up in 15, he told two other stories talking about the importance of how uh, the owner of what it, you know, the coin and the sheep, uh, the shepherd going after leaving the 99 and going after the one. Jesus was trying to show that the father, the father of the prodigal was the exact representation of God the father. And that God runs to us, we are his children whom he dearly loves. And even when we're wrong, okay, even when we're wrong and make poor choices, that he restores everything back as if it never happened. Come on. That blows our mind. Like, my mind just wants to explode. Like, how does that happen? 
Because for so long, so many of us, again, have learned to live for love rather than living from love. That's the difference. That's the difference. Say it again. Say it again. We're no longer to live for love. We're to live from love. And that can happen by somebody telling you that. It has to happen from you having an experience with the Father in hearing the truth that comes out of his heart that you're a beloved and a beloved, a beloved son and a beloved daughter. That's the only way it can happen for you. You know, sons don't have to earn their worth in love. Just accept that nothing, this is a big one, that nothing disqualifies you from the Father's love and forgiveness. Nothing disqualifies you. And that our Father in heaven pursues us because we are valuable. And that all he has is ours. You know, being a son, again, being a son or a daughter um, of heaven's standards is not based on what you do, but it's based on who you are. Earth, earthly models is based on what you do. Uh, Western Christianity is based on what you do. We, unfortunately, we have to unlearn a lot of things we've been taught. Amen. We have to unlearn the fact, again, that it's being a Christian or being a son and a daughter of, of, of the Most High, of, of God our Father, is not based on what we do. It's based on who we are. Amen. We, and we've got to totally just get a new understanding of that and get a new vision of that in our hearts and in our minds. And uh, how do you do that? You know, how do you get the mind of Christ? So I'm going to read Philippians 2.5. It says, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And, you know, having the mind of Christ is not as much about thinking more deeply as it is loving more intently. Having the mind of Christ is not as much about thinking more deeply, but loving more intently. Because that's what was on his mind. Was about loving the people around him. Loving the unlovable. That's what it was about. You know, thinking more like Jesus is not just about intellect. Uh, but it's more about intuitiveness. Um, you know, to, to have the mind of Christ, we've got to come to a place of where we understand what occupied his mind. Do you know two-thirds of Jesus' teachings all revolved around forgiveness? Every bit of it was revolving around forgiveness. That's what was on his mind, was forgiving teachings around forgiveness. It was either directly or indirectly the theme of everything he taught. You know, I, I, in the verse in John where we find uh, Jesus is up before the scribes and the Pharisees and he's teaching. And they bring the woman in to him that had committed adultery. And they're all wanting to say, you know, hey, the law of Moses says that if she committed adultery, she needs to be stoned. And they're trying to catch Jesus and they're trying to trick him and they're trying to make him look bad. And so Jesus begins to teach. He begins to teach parables. He begins to unload and, and make them understand, try to make them understand it's, it's, about, it's about forgiveness. And so he says to them, who in, you, who in here has, has never committed a sin? Let that person cast the first stone. Amen. And guess what happened? They had to put the rocks down. And then what happened? He, it says that he rode in the dirt. And, you know, we all want, we've all heard sermons around this. What did he write in the dirt? Mm. What did he write? And I don't know what he wrote in the dirt. But I think, I mean, I just want to say, I think he wrote forgiven. I mean, that's, that's what I want to believe. Now, somebody might say, oh, well, that's pretty simple. Is it? <laughs> I think when he wrote that in the dirt, whatever it was, whether it was forgiven or something, it totally shut down the accusations and the, and the uh, 
from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They didn't have anywhere to go with that. So they just had to leave. And, uh, you know, uh, logic and forgiveness can't coexist together. Did you know that? Logic logic and forgiveness can't coexist together. Logic is the antithesis, which means complete opposite of forgiveness. You know, we always heard Mr. Spock say, that's illogical. It is illogical because you can't think both of those at the same time because logic will not allow you to walk in a place where there's not judgment attached to what you're thinking. But forgiveness is one of these things where we're walking in a place where it's not our ability to be able to forgive people. It's his ability through us that gives us that, that gift to be able to release people from, from the things that they've done. And, uh, you know, Jesus talked about that. But, you know, forgiveness, the thing that allows us to experience the peace of mind, he, that's the thing that will give us the ability to experience the peace of mind that he possessed, was understanding how to walk in his forgiveness. Without that, you can't, you can't have that kind of peace of mind because you're logically trying to apply everything, why this should happen, why it shouldn't happen, why you should be rewarded, why you shouldn't be, you know, why you shouldn't be rewarded or should. Uh, logic gets in the way of what God is really wanting us to understand and what he wants us to see, that there's nothing that we can do to earn his love or to earn his, his forgiveness. And what was on Jesus' mind? Jesus always on his mind was to do the will of the Father. And in doing, to do the reveal, to do the will of the Father, he was revealing who the Father really was. That's what was on his mind constantly. Luke 2.49 said, did you not know that I've come to do my Father's business? What was Jesus' destiny? You know, I I know a lot of people will want to say, well, Jesus' destiny was the cross. But was it? Was the cross his destiny? The cross was a, a means to an end. It was, it, was a, it was a marker to point us to the real reason of what his destiny was. Which was what? To reveal the Father. To reveal the nature of the Father. I'm not diminishing what happened on the cross. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying, if, we, if that's the only thing we get out of that, we're not going to see the bigger picture. We're not going to see that... You know, we, we, with the verse, one of the verses that are just, this just absolutely validates this is John 3, 16. For God so loved the earth that he, or loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not die or not perish but have eternal life. God loved us so much that he allowed his son to hang on a cross. That's the heart of the father. That's the love of the Father. And Jesus was constantly pointing back to that. And that's what he wanted us to understand. I'd like to define that by using three phrases that Jesus used of himself. First one was, I am, I came, and I do. Let's look at John 6.35. John 6.35, if you have your Bibles, you can look there. John 6.35, maybe some of you guys can quote this. John 6, 35, Jesus replied and he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So he said, I am. Then we go over to Matthew. Matthew 5, 17. 
I'm turning pages here. Let's see, Matthew 5, 17. Matthew 5, 17. Don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writing of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. He came to fulfill the law of Moses. He came to fulfill what the prophets had preached and declared about the coming Savior, about the coming, the coming one who would, who would bring, uh, would cleanse the sins of the world. He says, I came. John uh, 8.29, I do. Let's look at I, John 8.29. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I am He. I do nothing on my own, but say only what the Father taught me. And the one who sent me is with me. He has not deserted me, for I always do what pleases him. So I do. What does Jesus do? He always does what, what pleases him. He always does what pleases the Father. You know, it's the, it's the amalgamation of these three words, the action, the process, and the uniting of these three identifiers that really give us the picture of Jesus' destiny. Uh, the combination of identity, purpose, an action which tells us where he is going. And in, and in likewise, in return, it tells us collectively, in reality, who we are and what we're doing. Who we are, what we are here for, and what we choose to do about it. You guys get that? All right. This means yes, yeah. So, who are we? I'm going to read... Who are we? So Galatians. Galatians 3, 26, and I'm going to read all the way down to 29. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for, our, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Amen? Amen. So in Christ Jesus, you are all the children of God. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 6, uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 18. And it says... Um, Come out, be separate from the Lord, touching... No, no it's, it's 18. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So we are his sons and daughters. This is our identity, okay? So we, we understand we're coming back to understand I am, I came, I do. And those identifiers are identity, our purpose, and the action. So our identity is we are sons and daughters of God. That's who we are. So that's, that's who, what are we here for? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If you guys want to turn to that, that'd be great. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This one's a little bit longer. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ and God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. 
And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. Come on. We speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God. This is massively important because what are we, what are, when we're making a plea for God, what are we representing to people? Are we representing a good father? Are we, are we representing somebody who is encouraging, who is loving, who is kind, who is forgiving? Are we representing him in those ways? It is so, you know, we, we wonder sometimes why we don't see more people coming back to Christ and why it's, it's, actually, gotten, it's, it's actually gotten a little worse and it has better just in the, in the sense that um, it's the way we, we've presented it. It's the way we present it. And I've said this before. Lisa Bevere said, you know, we, for so long the church has preached truth without love, and now the world is giving us love without truth. We've got to make sure that when we're representing the gospel, we're representing Christ, we're representing God the Father, that we're, we're accurately displaying who he is in our lives. And this is where we have to hit a reset. We've got to understand this is that we are, when we, when we don't have a proper identity and we don't, it's not inside of us, and we don't, we don't, we're not living from love, but we're working for love. It's, it's going to send a double message to the world. It really is. It's going to send the message of, of it's hard to be a Christian. It's going to send the message, it's hard to do this thing. That, that God is hard to, to do life with. When in all reality, he's not. He's easy. He's easy. And when we live from that place of living from love, God can do so much with that. And he can use us on such a, a higher level. What we choose to do about it. Luke 4.18, Jesus is in the temple. And he gets up and they hand him the scrolls. And what does Jesus do? He opens the scrolls and he opens to the place where Isaiah the prophet is, is talking. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released. And that the blind will see. And that the oppressed will be set free. And that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Amen. Isn't that good? Yes. The time of the Lord's favor has come. Guys, this is what we're here for. We're, we're, we're to proclaim the favor of the Lord. We're, we're to proclaim the goodness of God. We're to go about helping set free the captives. And how do we set free the captives? By not holding, them, holding their sin over them, but by forgiving them of their sin. And that sounds so crazy. It's like, wow, how, how do we do that? Well, Jesus said you could do it because he did it. And we don't hold people into those places. We don't hold it over their head. And they can freely come in, they can freely come in and, and receive what, what God has to give to them for freely, free. So, also Luke, uh, I mean Isaiah 60, Isaiah 60. Well, let, me, let me say this. Chris Valentin, I saw Chris Valentin the other day. Uh, not literally physically saw him, but... I, <laughs> I saw him on a feed, and I, 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 I listened to one of his messages. And uh, he said it's the craziest thing. He said he didn't understand why it is, but it seems like God uses uh, illustrations and uses uh, birds at Bethel Reading to speak to Bethel, you know. And uh, I don't know, how, how many of you ever heard the eagle story from Bethel Reading? Mm, not too many. Anybody ever heard the roadrunner story? Okay, a few people. How about the owl? The owl? Okay, a couple people. 
Well, Chris said the last, the, I think it's the last month or last couple weeks, something in there. He said he, he's been in his backyard and in his neighbor's backyard, he keeps seeing this peacock. And he said God started speaking to him about this peacock. And uh, the peacock's in the other neighbor's yard, and he's out there, and he's fanning out his tail, and it's all these beautiful colors, and just he's walking around and prancing, and it's like, he's like in all his splendor, in all his glory. And uh, he said God really just kind of spoke to him, and he said the Lord told him that that peacock represented the church, and that the church was getting ready to be in a place where his glory and his splendor was going to start showing up in such great manifestations. And that it's going to start drawing people into those environments to give their lives back to the Lord. It's going to, it's going to draw people in those environments to understand that they're no longer slaves, that they're sons and their daughters. It's one of the things we talked about last week. Scott and Lacey, you guys weren't here, but uh, we, we, Cody, can I drop the bomb a little bit? But we talked about what it looks like to have a... Um, uh, what was the word we use? Invo- yeah. You, you, it was your word. Irresistible. Where is he? Yeah, there he is. Irresistible culture. Listen, again, yeah, it's told, stole your message. An irresistible culture. What is an irresistible? Sorry, guys. What is an irresistible culture looks like? It looks like a culture where God's glory and his splendor is on display. And what does his glory and splendor look like? Does it look like shock and awe, which we understand when you walk in, you feel the presence, you feel holiness, all those things. But more than that, an irresistible culture from the splendor and the glory of God is a place where people walk in and they instantly feel validated. Where they instantly feel loved. Where they instantly feel like they're seen, they're heard, and they're known. That's what an irresistible culture looks like. That's what the world's looking for. They're not looking for a fake culture. They're not looking for a double standard. They're looking for truth. They are looking for the real. In Isaiah 60, let me read this because it it parallels what Chris was talking about. Uh, And and many of you know this verse, but uh, it's worth sharing when... He uses the illustration of the peacock. It says, Arise, Jerusalem, let your light shine for all to see. For the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. Darkness as black as the night covers all the nations of the earth. But the glory of God rises and appears over you. And all the nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. Isn't that good? And, and he's talking about with the peacock, that that glory and that splendor. You know, the male peacock, when he does that, he's, it's, it's like a calling card to all the other lady peacocks. The lady peacocks can't do that. It's just the male peacocks. So we're talking about, we're talking about uh, you know, it's, it's the attractant. It's the thing, wh- whichever is the most beautiful and the most pretty is what's going to attract the ladies to come to him. And God is, Chris said, God was using that as an illustration to show that as we as the church, as we start moving into that, that that display of his glory and his majesty and his power is going to absolutely attract people to us. I, I want to read a real quick story to you. I know we're running out of time here. This story I felt like was really, um, really great. It, it really kind of summarized kind of what we're trying to talk about here with the Father God and, 
his goodness and okay father's love so this is a story about Ruth Graham this is Billy Graham's oldest daughter and uh, she spoke, spoke at his funeral and she told her story of divorce after 21 years of marriage and then a rapid remarriage against the advice of her family almost instantly regretting her second marriage she fled to her parents seeking their support what was I going to do I wanted to go talk to my mother and father it was a two-day drive questions were swirling in my mind what was I going to say to daddy what was I going to say to mother what was I going to say to my children I'd been such a failure what were they going to say to me we're tired of fooling with you we told you not to do it you've embarrassed us let me tell you you ladies you will understand this you don't want to embarrass your father you really don't want to embarrass the Billy Graham and many of you know that we live on the side of a mountain and she said as I was driving and winding through the mountainside and I rounded the last bend into my father's driveway she said my father was standing there waiting for me and as I got out of the car he wrapped his arms around me and he said welcome home there was no shame there was no blame there was no condemnation there was just unconditional love isn't that awesome you know, and here we, you know, here we're talking about one of the most prolific men of our time and well-known men of our time. And he was not concerned about how this was going to make him look. Amen. And can I tell you, God's the same way. He is not worried that your junk and your mess is going to make him not look good. He's not concerned about that. He's, he doesn't focus on that. He focuses on you. He focuses on me. He focuses on the he focuses on the things that we do we do right. You know, the real hero in Luke 15 is the father, not because of his morals or because of his patience, but it's because of his actions. Just like it's it's because of the actions of our father God. But he understood his role. He understood his purpose. First thing he understood was I am. I am a father. He understood that. I came to do what? To abolish punishment, shame, and control. He said, I do. Only what I see my Father in heaven do. And that means I love unconditionally. That was the perfect picture that Jesus was painting. The perfect picture of who God is. You know, I, Randall Worley said this the other day, and I loved it. He said, the nature of fatherhood is you are doing something you're unqualified to do. <laughs> Is that not so true? How many of us as men have felt unqualified to be fathers? I'm going to raise my hand. And a lot of times it's based on the fact that we haven't done something right or we didn't know to do something right or we didn't have the knowledge to do it. It hadn't been imparted to us. We didn't see it modeled for us. And, um, you know, fathers, what I love, <laughs> what I love about what, God the Father is like is that in what he did when he sent Jesus, it made it really easy, easy for us as, as, heaven, as earthly fathers that fathers aren't perfect. They're just forgiven. Come on. I mean, they're, they're not perfect. We're not perfect. We're just forgiven. And when we recognize that and we walk in that, 
and we walk in the understanding of we live from love and not for love, it changes everything about what we do and what we say. Because we're not constantly trying to overcompensate for the areas that we've fallen short in. Which is really, really important. I, I tell you, I'll, I'll tell you this real quick, and I got another story. But I, I remember uh, when my youngest son was, you know, hitting his teenage years, and uh, he, he was uh, he was a handful. Okay, uh, that's that's the the greatest thing to say. He was a handful. But the thing that was such a blessing to me was that Terry and I had been through so many different denominations and been through so many different religious, theological, theology, uh, you know, teachings and, you know, worried about what it looks like to, you know, as a parent, you're embarrassing me and really more worried about that, about our children being obedient and not making us look bad rather than having a connection with their hearts. And when we came out of that environment and we came into, uh, you know, I'm just saying the Bethel stream, we got a whole new set of skills. And we learned what our real identity was. And we learned that the most important thing with our children was to keep a heart connection with them. Not to be right. Even if you are right, it's not about being right. It's, it's about loving, guiding, forgiving, and keeping your heart connection with your children. Even when they're not doing what you want them to do. Even when they're not making the choices that you would make. Even when they make massive messes and mistakes. That you keep your heart connected to your children. And I'm going to tell you something. Today, that has served us really, really well with all of our kids. With both of our boys. And especially with our youngest. And uh, I I wouldn't trade anything for the the lessons that I've learned in the last 15 years with, with with my kids. I mean, through their entire life, but especially in the last 15 years. I'm going to tell you another story. I just came back from, uh, Terry and I just came back from South Carolina. Where were we in South Carolina? You remember? Columbia, South Carolina. And we had the privilege and the honor to go to a memorial for Jack Taylor. Anybody know who Jack Taylor is in here? Uh, there's a few of you. If you don't know who he is, I... I, I do yourself a favor and go look, up, look him up and see who he is. But Jack's not with us anymore. He passed away about a month ago. And uh, they were doing a memorial for him. And uh, we went. And I'm telling you, it was the most encouraging thing I think I've ever been to in a long time. Uh, because they got to share this man's life and who he was. And at the end of everything, you can look at this man and say, he really understood the kingdom. And he really understood what it meant to be a father in the kingdom. He knew how to walk it out. Uh, Bill Johnson was supposed to be there, and he couldn't make it. So he sent a video. And he tells this story of how when his dad Earl died, uh, was that back in 2008, Scott, or something like that? Okay, 2003. Uh, that when his dad died, uh, it, just, it just devastated him. I mean, just... It, 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 was, it was one of the greatest losses he's ever had in his life. And um, he said, Jack Taylor called him, and he said to Bill, Bill, what is the thing that you're going to miss the most about your dad? And he said, my father was my greatest encourager. And Bill said that Jack says to him right there on the phone, Bill, I'm going to become that for you. I'm going to become your greatest encourager. 
And um, Bill said from that point forward, he never missed a he never missed a time to text him, call him, encourage him. And he said it was one of the most greatest honors he had ever had in his life of, of, a, of a spiritual father reaching out to him and investing in him. And, you know, make, make no mistakes. Fathers that, that understand their true role realize, you know, that their influence with their children is not intended to get their children or their natural children or their spiritual children to believe in them. But it's their responsibility for them to get their children to believe in themselves. And as dads, this is our job. As, as natural fathers, as spiritual fathers, it's our job to become our children's greatest encouragers. Right. You know, and Terry and I just spent some time with a friend of ours not too long ago. And um, she unpacked some stuff and was just talking about her kids. And um, it was just heartbreaking because... All, all three of her children were in just such bad places. And we just, we, we, it just, it really crushed us. Like it, I felt the heart of the father for this woman um, and reach out, you know, to, hey, you need to understand something. And I looked at her, and this is before we even went to the Jack Taylor thing. I, I looked at her and I said, let me tell you something. All you can do is become their champion. All you can do is become their greatest encourager. And I promise you, if you reach out to them and you encourage them and you be that person and you champion them, it's not going to be a question of if they come back, it's just when they come back. Amen. Come on. And so I just want to encourage every one of us in here, you know, that we all need to come to a place where we understand that the greatest role we have as fathers and mothers, mothers, I'm not leaving you out of this because just because it's Father's Day. We all have a, a responsibility to become our children's greatest encouragers. And when we realize and we understand how to do that, and we walk through that. In doing so, we will fulfill our destiny. We will fulfill the, and we will answer the question, why, who you are, why you're here, and what are you going to do about it? To reveal the Father to a hurting world and reconcile those back to him. That's our job. Yes. To reconcile our children back to him. Mm. We've been given a great responsibility to, to raise our children, not just for us, but for him. Yeah. For him. And uh, again, we're not perfect, but we're forgiven. So when you miss it, you just ask God to forgive you. And you move forward. And you... You call them up again, or you text them, or you talk to them, and you'll, you'll, you'll pick right back up where you left off. And your children aren't looking for you to be perfect. They're looking for you to just love them and to be for them and to champion them. Amen? Amen. Everybody stand up for a minute. Stephen, you come up here for a minute. Lacey was really hitting on something during transition. It, I mean, she really just really brought a lot of things to light. I really love what she was saying, her personal experience and how God was doing things uh, just through in her heart with her dad and telling us to learn how to be vulnerable, even in pain. And um, 
my younger son and I were watching a movie the other night. And uh, in the movie, this person's mom was passing away. And while she was passing away, the son just couldn't hardly handle it. It was just, it was just so devastating for him. And the pain was getting really, really bad for him. And he runs out into the hallway of the hospital, and he just slumps down against the wall. And um, as he's sitting there, he has this vision of his mother sitting next to him. And um, maybe she'd already passed away, and she literally was, had translated and was sitting next to him in the hallway. And she's, she's trying to encourage him, and she says, I've got to go. And she stands up, and she goes to leave, and he's crying and bawling, and he's grabbing her hand. He said, Mom, please don't leave me with the memories I have. And, uh, man, that triggered me. Like... You know, many of us come from really bad backgrounds where we didn't have parents. And we didn't have people that loved us. We were trying to live for love instead of from love. And I, it just brought me back to a really unhealthy place in my life. But what he said was really incredible. He's, he looked at her and he said, Mom, leave me with something good. And so she reaches out and she touches his forehead with her finger. And when she does that, he instantly goes to the only great thought that he had a memory of him with his mother. And they, they, play, it, they play it out in his mind. And uh, it's a beautiful picture. And she leaves. And uh, I really felt like the Lord was saying, uh, when Lacey was talking this morning, I, just felt he, I felt like he was saying, that picture, those memories, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that for you. So I want you to close your eyes for a minute. And um, if you're in this place this morning and you're saying, you know what, it's Father's Day. And I had a great childhood. I had a great dad. And, and that's wonderful. But if you're in this place or, and, and you had, didn't have such a great dad or you didn't have such great memories of your father, God wants to fix that. And he wants to restore that in your life. So I just want you to close your eyes and I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit, just ask him right now, say, Holy Spirit, give me a good memory. Give me your memories. Father, give me your memories. Let me see what you see. Let me experience what you wanted me to experience. Father, just show us right now Holy Spirit, show us the redemptive act and the redemptive scenery that Jesus paid for in our minds. Father, just replace those thoughts with your thoughts. A good dad, a good father. Lord, we just thank you we just thank you and we just we we give to we give ourselves to that we we lean into what you've done in our lives and we lean into the truth that you want us to live from your love continually we break off 
we break off any lie that says that we have to work for our justification, that we have to work for our validation, that we have to work for our love. We literally rebuke those lies and we ask you to replace it with your truth, that we're beloved sons and daughters, that you love us without expecting anything in return and that you have an inheritance for us that never can be exhausted. It never goes bankrupt. It never goes dry. We have access to it 24-7. Yeah, Father, we just, we thank you. We thank you and we just give you praise. And we want to tell you from our hearts that we love you and that you're the greatest father we could ever have. He's the greatest father you could ever have. Just lean into that truth. Father, heal any memories, heal any hurts. Those that have lost their fathers, Father, we just pray that you just comfort them. Speak to them in in your love and your peace and your goodness and wrap your arms around them and let them feel the weight of your love. Yeah. 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 Father, we just thank you. We thank you for this Father's Day. We thank you that you're more than enough and you have more than enough for us all. We just receive that. And everybody receives it and says, amen. Amen. Well, we love you guys. Y'all have a great Father's Day.